Welcome to Brokerage Insider, the podcast where we interview the leaders in real estate and technology. I'm your host, Britt Chester, Director of Marketing Success at one of the largest independent prop tech companies in real estate and provider of custom brokerage technology to medium and large brokerages. Today on the show, we are joined by Richard Haggerty. Richard is the CEO of the Hudson Gateway Association of Realtors Incorporated and President and Chief Strategic Growth Officer of One Key MLS. Richard, thanks for joining us today. It is my pleasure, Brett. You know, Richard, we spoke last year at Inman Connect New York, and wow, a lot has changed. Can you sort of take me through, you know, let's start, if we can even start in January of last year, you know, where we were a little bit more optimistic, things kind of changed after that, and kind of give me your 30,000-foot view from, the, from your members' view, as well as the consumers in your area and the opportunities they were confronted with during this incredibly tumultuous year in real estate. Wow. You know, I've been in this business for 35 years. I have not ever seen anything like 2020. Quite frankly, I hope I don't see anything like it again. It, it, was, it was a tale of two years in one year. You had, actually you could make an argument was like three stages of the year. We were very optimistic in the first quarter of 2020. The sales were looking really, really strong. The market and our entire geography was looking really, really strong. And we've got a very diverse geography. We cover Manhattan. We actually merged with the Bronx in the middle of the pandemic in July, all the way up to the Hudson Valley. So four counties in the Hudson Valley, Westchester, Rockland, Putnam, and Orange. And all, all of that geography was just looking really strong. But then March happened. And it was actually the middle to third week of March where literally within a week, everything shut down. I had to close my office. Fortunately, we kind of were seeing the writing on the wall and we were able to transition all of our staff to working from home seamlessly. But real estate, for all intents and purposes, was shut down. Agents could not show physically show properties. And it was scary. I mean, I live in the Upper East Side of Manhattan and that became a ghost town very, very quickly. So you know, I think everybody come that the end of that first quarter, the end of March, in the, for the most part, all of April, we were just really pretty much scared. New York was really the epicenter. Our infection numbers were extremely high, the highest in the country early on in the pandemic. And everybody was just, you know, shut up in their homes. And a lot of folks, if they had uh, second homes, they headed to wherever those second homes were, whether it was out in the Hamptons, up in the Poconos, they got out of town. You know, and I think part of that narrative that we were seeing from the outside looking in in New York was this this mass exodus, kind of like you're talking about. People were were going to the second homes, and but I think there was also a lot of people who didn't have second homes, and so they started to look to where they came from and, and move out. And so, that, you know, again, that that narrative kind of painted by the news was this this empty city. What was it like living there, and and what were your members, you know, part of the association? What were they going through, and what were their thoughts, and what were the concerns that they were bringing you to you and to your executive team there at Hudson Gateway Association of Realtors? Well, first off, I think everybody was in a a state of shock initially because it happened so quickly. And especially in New York, it was a bit of an avalanche. So I think everybody was scared and everybody was a little bit shell-shocked and nobody really wanted to go show properties. We didn't have you know, buyers who were comfortable going to view properties for the most part early on in the pandemic. So really I'm talking about April. Come May, I think that started to change. With the spring, people were starting to get a little bit antsy. You know, we've got a better handle on what was going on with uh, COVID-19, how it was, and it was handled pretty aggressively in New York, I think, in the early days. And what we really had to do as an association was keep our members informed. 
what could they do, what couldn't they do? So they could show homes virtually. And a lot of folks were already set up to be able to show homes virtually. And that did happen to some degree. Closing started to take place because we had virtual notarization approved in the state. So those properties that were in contract prior to the uh, pandemic slowly but surely were able to be closed. But for all intents and purposes, you know, that second quarter was wiped out. So April through the middle of June was really, there was no business going on because of the activity curtailed by the governor's executive orders in New York, which prohibited in-person showings. But that did change come the middle of June, I believe it was the second week of June, where showings were allowed to happen again with safety protocols in place. And as I said, it was really the, the tale of two years because all of a sudden what was a non-existent market just took off. And that was actually in large part due to the fact that a lot of folks from the city were now buying in the suburbs. And it was the Connecticut suburbs, it was the New York suburbs, both Westchester County and Long Island. And it was just a tremendous surge of buyer interest that occurred and that went then for the balance of 2020. And how did you navigate that? Because that, again, you know, this seems, you know, I've said this a lot, it, it, this anomaly year of real estate, you know, com- unprecedented on one hand, but also completely unplanned. And I don't think anyone really knew how to handle that. How are y'all kind of navigating that, those opportunities and directing, you know, consumers and, and kind of guiding your, your clients in that way? It, from my perspective, what the association's role in that was really, again, just being a conduit of accurate information and getting that information out as quickly as possible, which we continue to do. I mean, now we're actually doing it with the eligibility for vaccines. It just went from 65 to 60 yesterday, so we got that notice out to our members ASAP. So we still are fulfilling that role. But I think a big part of it had to do with the resiliency of our members. Realtors really bounced back in a very strong way. They did what they needed to do during that second quarter when everybody basically had to hunker down uh, and stay safe and keep their family safe and their consumers safe. But then when we opened back up, they were there using safety protocols to help the consumers that they have relationships with find additional homes. And sometimes it wasn't even folks selling in Manhattan and buying in the Hudson Valley or Long Island. A lot of times it's just, quite frankly, folks buying a second home. And so they have those options going forward. I think that the whole exodus from New York City was a little bit overplayed. I do think that some folks who were starting families who were thinking about moving to the suburbs for whatever reason, because they wanted green grass and schools in the suburbs, those folks had that decision-making process speeded up because of the pandemic. So I don't think that it necessarily led to an exodus that you know, is going to continue. I think it just speeded up the process of folks who are already thinking of moving out to the suburbs. They made that decision more quickly. And again, you know, when, when you and I spoke in January, you had kind of teased one key MLS, you know, it was, it was on the horizon at the time. And I think, you know, you all chose to do something, you know, pretty unique and, you know, really, really present that wow factor with, with launching one key MLS, I think, like you said, at the height of the pandemic, talk to me about kind of the decision, the decision to do that and, you know, continue moving forward with that decision and some of the unknown barriers that you might've encountered, you know, at, at, with that launch and rollout. So, To be honest, the reasons why we created One Key, and One Key is 
a regional MLS that's owned by the Hudson Gateway Association of Realtors and the Long Island uh, Board of Realtors was to really take advantage of the power of our geography for the benefit of our realtor members. You have a lot of regional MLSs much larger than ours. You know, we've got a large one. We've got over uh, 42,000 subscribers. We've got about 4,400 brokerage offices. But we, you know, there, there are larger MLSs around the country. In you know, California, you've got bright MLS on the East Coast. But those are not really specific to geography per se, where we really wanted to focus on the New York City geography in the tri-state area in terms of anywhere buses and trains go in and out of you know, New York City. We felt that there should be a regional MLS that takes advantage of that geography. That I think is even more starkly obvious today than it was pre-COVID-19 because we truly have become a region, especially with folks who are you know, now working remotely. They're able to do so in counties where you can't even easily commute. It would be a multi-hour commute. But now if you have a, a second home in Sullivan County and your business is in uh, Manhattan, you can still effectively do business. So the power of region and the power of geography, I think, has become even more apparent during this uh, pandemic period. And we were positioned to take advantage of that. And did you, you know, I, you know New York, I think, has always been a the international real estate mecca, you know, with, 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 with foreign um, buyers and, and foreign investors. Did you see any kind of changes with that, with that sort of like traffic to the site or, or did you see any sort of changes with that sort of money kind of coming into the market? It's interesting. So we launched Wenke MLS in March of 2020. We launched our consumer facing website, WenkeMLS.com in the middle of June. And the traffic was high right off the bat without question. Because again, there was just a lot of interest in the geography that we cover. It's interesting because New York definitely took a much uh, deeper uh, dive in terms of just basically the bottom fell out in terms of sales in New York City. It has bounced back more quickly than I anticipated, especially in the luxury market. There's been, you're really now looking at the same kind of numbers this year as we were looking prior to the pandemic last year. Part of that, though, is there are, I think, deals to be had. And I think especially with uh, new development, developers are actually making deals that they might not have made pre-pandemic. So there are a lot of opportunities. The rental market really took a hit, and the rental market is still struggling. And that may take some time to come back. But I, quite frankly, living in Manhattan, I, you know, what I see in the streets today versus what I saw in the streets back in March and April of last year is night and day. I think that there really is a renewed interest in Manhattan because the perception of, you know, that there are deals to be had, as well as in Brooklyn and as well as some of the other boroughs. I think you know, the, the challenge, quite frankly, is going to be the commercial market. The commercial market is going to take a little bit longer to find its feet. I think, you know, you've, you've heard a lot in the press that there probably is going to be some type of hybrid going forward where some companies will say, come into the office, you know, three days a week and work from home two days a week. I think, especially in the next year or two, that probably will be the norm. But I do think the commercial market will get its feet within the next three to five years. But residential, quite frankly, is coming back very strong, more quickly than I anticipated in New York City. Do you see any sort of, kind of speaking to that hybrid model, something that 
came across the news here in Denver. Somebody was calling this place a, a new development. They called it a condo tell. And it's, it's their, their condos that I believe, and I, you know, I'm, I might be butchering this, but I believe they're zoned for like short term. And so people are, I guess how they're marketing these are to, to investors to do like long-term and short-term Airbnbs. And it's just got me curious to know what, maybe what you're thinking about that, that hybrid model in the commercial market, because there is so much real estate in New York that is, you know, I, I would say ripe for disruption right now. What, what do you kind of think about what that hybrid model looks like? Or, you know, do you have any, any thoughts on, on what that could look like? The only thing I can really predict with any clarity is people are gonna have to be very creative. You know, what we're going to end up with, I don't think we should be, you know, guessing too much. I think we just have to kind of get creative. And I think in terms of the hotels, that kind of creativity would match up well with what you just described. I've also heard a lot of folks saying, well, let's convert commercial buildings to affordable housing or residential housing. Well, I think that's more problematic. You know, commercial buildings are just not designed nor plumbed that way. And I, I don't know if it just really makes a lot of sense that you could convert commercial space, especially commercial space that's older, to residential housing. But I do think we've got to get creative. And I do think we're still in the early days. I mean, New York, you know, the vaccines are definitely coming in now. The Jacob Javits Center is this huge vaccine distribution center. And the number of people who are getting vaccinated today it's pretty staggering, at least in the urban areas of New York. And I think by May and June, that's really gonna make a difference. And I think by the fall, that's especially hopefully by the fall, we'll have you know, the theaters back open, we'll have you know, all of the arts that have just continued to be shut down, which is such a drain on the New York economy and the New York City economy, will start to recover. That's when I think people will really start to use that creativity to figure out, well, what's life gonna look like for this market and for this area going forward? We're, we're coming up on, you know, the, like I would say the one year anniversary. What would you say, you know, looking at your, looking at your members and looking at, you know, even just kind of New York as a whole from your view, like you said, you've, you've been with, you've been in real estate here for over 35 years. What have you seen as being one of the most valuable kind of pivot points for agent? Because I think, you know, the industry has had to shift and I think everybody's models have had to, whether that's through marketing plans, just kind of their entire approach to, to real estate again. What have you seen as some of the, the really valuable pivots that agents have done and, and that you uh, and the team have done at HGAR? You know, it's interesting. I, I've seen so much growth in this industry in my tenure. When I first came to work for the association, I was 24 years old. I had been looking for a job in publishing and was offered a job to work with the then Westchester County Board of Realtors. We had about 1,400 members. We now are over 12,000 members. You know, we've merged with several associations since then to you know, create synergies that really, again, go along geographic lines. But I think the more things change, we forget that the more things stay the same. And yes, technology has had a huge impact on this industry. It's gonna to continue to have a big impact on this industry. But it, from my perspective, it's still about the agent. And it's still about the agent's relationships with consumers. At the end of the day, that was what it was 35 years ago. That's what it is today. 
I don't see that changing. You just have agents who are able to utilize technology in effective ways. So for example, during the pandemic, I think for a very good reason, the whole concept of virtual tours really went up a notch. And I think that's gonna to continue to really improve uh, that technology. But that's not gonna replace agents. All this discussion about you know agents are gonna go away, I, I've ne never bought it and I still don't buy it. So I still think at the end of the day, how do we provide better tools for agents? And as an association, we've gotta be careful because we also don't wanna step on the toes of the brokers. We don't want to interfere with their value proposition and what they offer to their agents. But there are basic building blocks like education. And certainly we offer a lot more education focused on technology than we used to. But we've gotta offer those building blocks for agents to succeed in their communities and in their business. That has not changed. That's not going to change. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, at Travis, last year we launched Design Studio, which was a kind of like a, a one-stop shop to be able to connect, you know, agents with their clients through, you know, kind of new flyers and, and creating an, an easier process there. And, and I've seen, you know, I think you see more investment in email marketing and you see more investment in, you know, digital, digital marketing, whether it's in social media or in, or in Google and, and ways like that. How have you at One Key MLS sort of like pivoted your marketing efforts, both to, to engage your, your realtors and help them, like empower them to, to reach their consumer and clients? Social media, you know, that, that has had a huge impact on our industry. It's going to continue to have an impact on our, it has a huge impact on our lives, let's be honest. And that's a space where I think one key has been effective, but we've got to get even better as well as the association. And that's the one area where I think we've got to help our members step up their game. Social media is going to continue to be a huge conduit communication with consumers. And it's also going to be a conduit of communication between our members. We used to rely on email. Though it's interesting, one of the things that we launched very early on in the early days of the pandemic are were what we call COVID updates every day. An email went out to the members. And Initially, it had open rates of like 40, mid 40%. And that's pretty huge. An open rate of or an email, a daily email of 40 plus percent. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we've continued to do that. Now we call it just our daily update. And the open rate has continues to hover around 30%. Some days it's 34%, some days it's 27%. But I'm surprised how effective that is continued to be. But I think it's because content still is so important. And, you know, Brett, you know that in your business, never underestimate the importance of content. So obviously what we are including in that daily email, the content is perceived uh, to be valuable to the members. And that's why it still has such a high open rate, but we can't continue to rely on email. So I remember when, you know, before the days of emails, I, I was there when we got the book deliveries from Canada uh, and we would have to if there was bad weather, you know, I'll be on the phones talking about if the books were going to be late. And, you know, so I saw that all that change and, you know, we did away with the books and then we did away with these daily hot sheets that we would actually deliver to all of our member offices. So that evolution is going to continue in terms of how we deliver information. And we've got to be prepared for that. And our, our, our members and our consumers have got to really be prepared for those changes because that will continue to evolve. 
kind of jumping over to back to the one key MLS, the consumer portal. I'd love to, to learn more about both the, the successes that you've had with that from a, from a traffic standpoint, and then also just kind of building that out to be the most robust, you know, kind of portal for consumers. Talk about, you know, just kind of the, the, the idea behind that and how it's kind of evolving even into 2021. So we hired a company before the merger took place. And actually we hired a company to help us in that endeavor before we even started talking to Long Island about creating a regional MLS, because we felt it was important to have a strong consumer facing website. So we hired a company called August Partners that was owned and operated by Tracy Weir, who continues to be our consultant with a number of different initiatives, but as well as the website. And she created it from scratch. She is, from my perspective, Tracy is a visionary who, in addition to having a good, strong tech background, also has got a very strong marketing background. And she's able to marry those two important talents. And she created our consumer-facing website, but then we really pivoted very quickly when we started the merger discussions that actually created a regional MLS. We didn't create a merged MLS, we created a new regional MLS. And so when we actually launched it, it was not from our old MLS, which was the Hudson Gateway MLS, it was from one key MLS. And it's really, from my perspective, very simple. Doesn't, it doesn't have a lot of you know, really fancy tools to it. It's got a lot of good content. So for example, it's got a lot of neighborhood content. We cover a huge geography. We go from Montauk and the Hamptons all the way to Sullivan County and up through the Hudson Valley. And we have a lot of really interesting, diverse communities and neighborhoods. And we wanted to feature information about those neighborhoods. So, you know, you're talking Chelsea and down you know, lower Manhattan. We're talking Nyack up in Rockland County on the, on the Hudson River. We're talking horse farms in Bedford. We're talking, you know, the Catskills in Sullivan County. You want consumers to be able to get snapshots of what those areas look like, not just from the properties that are listed there, but also from descriptions about the features of those, those locations. So you know, that, that's nothing fancy, but it's important and it's content rich. So that was one of the things we focused on. We also are trying to grow our base in Manhattan. So we've got a lot of demographic information in Manhattan. When I talk about demographics, I'm actually talking about building demographics. You know, how many units are in the building? What are the recent sales in that building? What are, the, what are the amenities in the building? So we've had to really make a significant investment to make sure we have that type of demographic information on the buildings in uh, New York City. Yeah, and I think there's, there's so much, you know, you, like you said, you've, you've worked in this industry for so long and, and I've been in it for, for a little while myself. And so I think we begin to to see kind of all the data together. But when you really kind of step back, there's so much information available, both on properties and communities and markets and regions all the way around. And it seems like, like a pretty daunting task to, to package that up and make it easily consumable and searchable from the consumer perspective. Were there any sort of, you know, working with Tracy and what was some of the kind of guidance you were giving her and in, in, in how, to, how to build that and how to, you know, make it as robust as possible? The simpler, the better. We, we all like to search for homes. You'll probably, I'm sure you read about it if you didn't see it, but there was a great free advertisement for uh, Zillow a couple of uh, weeks ago. It's probably about a month ago, wasn't it? 
on SNL one night when there was just an absolutely hilarious skit on folks who uh, are searching sites looking for homes, mm -hmm. uh, how it's like becoming the new dating game. And it was, you know, I think it really resonated with people because so many of us are doing it. And you know, that, when you look at some of these third-party sites, it's not that they have all that many gadgets to it, it's they make it simple. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, that was really our overriding instruction to Tracy. Keep it simple, keep it focused, keep it consumer friendly so they don't have to jump through a lot of hoops. And I think we've achieved that, but we've got to continue to tweak it and hone it and improve it because the consumer experience is really what it's all about. So, and we involve consumers in getting their feedback. And we, we actually involve our members in terms of getting their feedback. We've got a, a focus group that Trace is going to be running in, at 11 o'clock today to seek feedback from our members about how can we improve it? What are you looking for for a consumer-facing site? So you have to always have that ability to get constructive feedback as well. So it's always going to be an ongoing process on improvement, tweaking, making sure it's still relevant and focusing on the geography. Again, that's why I think one of, why we're unique because we really are focused on what we feel is such, the, such an important geography in the New York City and suburban surroundings. It's funny that that SNL skit I think was kind of an indicative of real estate in 2020. You know, Zillow's app, I think they, they broke records with daily active users. I think, you know, home sales broke records, median home prices across the country were, you know, were breaking records, low inventory. I, I wonder if it, if it had, you know, for Zillow had the intended effect, right? I, I wonder if people were, you know, suddenly confronted with the idea like, okay, I am just kind of like a voyeur on all of these homes. And I wonder if, you know, if it, if it maybe, you know, we say it was a commercial and might've boosted it, but if maybe some people kind of realized, yeah, maybe I don't need to be, you know, shopping for homes for an hour and a half every night. Looking at, you know, we're into 2021, we have that great SNL parody. What do you think of, you know, where do you think the market is going right now? I mean, I, I'm, I just don't think it could keep rising at the rate that it is forever. But I, I know, you know, just from, from reading some quotes from, from Joe Rand recently about what was in the pipeline going from December into January this year, and it seemed very strong. Do you think that's going to continue to hold or, or what are, what are some of your predictions, you know, high level predictions for, for what the market is going to do? Is it going to kind of level out or will we see, you know, an, an affordability issue due to low inventory? So you mentioned Joe Rand and then we've had Joe on uh, a webinar series that uh, we have about every two or three weeks. Uh, a couple times. You also had Jonathan Miller. Jonathan is a very well-known appraiser in this area who also does extensive market analysis around the country for Douglas Elliman. And I've learned that those two gentlemen are very, very smart. And I learn a lot and I try not to disagree with them because their crystal balls are a lot clearer than mine. I do think that quite frankly, in Manhattan, things are still going to be soft for the balance of this year, probably going into next year especially prices, not so much in Brooklyn. We're actually doing a webinar today about Brooklyn. Brooklyn really rebounded even more quickly than Manhattan. And I see continued strength there. The suburban market has just got one, actually two significant constraints. And one is inventory. When we launched one key back in March of last year, we had over 40,000 listings. We're down to about 32,000 listings and that number is continuing to go down. 
inventory is a problem in this area as well as around the country. And that's driven up prices. And you know, I don't know if those price increases are sustainable because they're out of the roof. I mean, if, if you look at the recovery that we had in 2020, I would never have predicted that. We actually, even though we were in essence shut down for three months, a quarter of the year, 2020 was a stronger year in many cases than 2019. And that's just staggering to me. I do think, you know, we're going to continue to live, I think, in a relatively low interest rate environment. I know that mortgage rates ticked up above the 3% line and everybody was panicking and the sky's falling down. It's like, are you kidding me? 3% mortgage rates and you're going to panic? So I think that we're going to continue to have a very healthy market, but we're going to be constrained, quite frankly, by price increases in inventory. I think we've got to not panic as easily as we sometimes do. You know, one of the things that I've said for the last several years is sometimes it seems like the industry is playing this elaborate game of Game of Thrones. And, you know, that's continued. You just keep on seeing the strategic moves. You saw, you know, CoreLogic was purchased, but then you saw CoStar try to bump the purchasers and then finally they withdrew from that competition. We obviously saw the big news of Zillow buying showing time. Mm-hmm. And you... You keep on seeing these big moves and you wonder, well, what the end game, what's the end game? And if you're not in that space, why are you obsessing about it? Do you have to be aware of it? Do you have to understand what the ramifications are? You bet. But if you're an agent working with buyers and sellers, how much impact is that going to have? Especially the immediate impact. And I would argue probably not as much as people think. So stop overreacting. It's always fun looking at the Inman headlines, but... I think sometimes, again, people overreact uh, to what's either in Inman or in New York, The Real Deal, which is a very well-read publications in this neck of the woods, mm-hmm. and focus on your business. Focus on what you do well and focus on those tools that can help you get better. Yeah, I love looking at the headlines. I think what something I love looking at even more is the comments, you know, the, the comments that come in from agents with their opinions. And, and, and I think you, you make, a, you make it a, a great point. It's like, if you're not in that space, like just, you know, just kind of continue to focus on you know, staying in your lane, focus on, you know, working with your clients and, and maintaining those relationships. I think that's a, a great point. But those comment sections are always great, a great conversation fodder. It is a great conversation. And you know, it's the double-edged sword of social media as well. And that's why I think we've got to figure out how to use social media effectively in our, both our you know, personal lives as well as in our businesses. And I, when I say our personal lives, don't become consumed with social media. It's not the real life. Stop becoming consumed with the negative comments. You know, it's interesting. I think right now there is as much news coverage as to the fallout for the Prince Harry, Meghan Markle interview as there is on the actual interview. In fact, I think the focus is more on how people are responding via social media than on the interview itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in real estate, you just don't want to go down that rabbit hole. You want to focus on the positive. You want to focus on those things that are going to advance your careers. It's something I heard last year from, from, a, lot of, from a lot of, you know, industry titans was we're going to see some consolidation in the next few years, you know, and I think, you know, COVID might have expedited some of that. And so I, I look at, you know, Zillow showing time as being a very high level, quote unquote, consolidation. Is that something that you're seeing? Is, are those conversations that you're having or, or seeing with 
brokerages starting to consolidate or even with uh, Hudson Gateway Association of Realtors kind of looking to, to join others. I know that it didn't y'all merge with the Bronx Manhattan North Association of Realtors in the middle of last year. Is are there any other, you know, kind of strategic, you know, strategic plans like that in, for 2021? Yeah, I certainly think on the one key side, we want to grow one key because we think it's going to benefit our participants and our subscribers. I don't think that you know, market overlap in MLSs makes any sense at all. I don't, Sullivan County, which was, a, and we actually purchased the Sullivan County MLS a number of years ago before we created One Key. We didn't do that to make any money. We actually did that to create a better environment, MLS environment for the participants and subscribers in that area because they were participating in two MLSs. It didn't make any sense. And I think especially in our market, I hate to keep on beating this drum, but I'm gonna beat it, where you've got consumers who are looking at this wider geography. It's, it includes New York, it includes Connecticut, it includes parts of New Jersey, as well as Long Island, as well as the Hudson Valley, as well as New York and Manhattan and all the boroughs. Consumers don't wanna to go to multiple sites to view that entire inventory. They wanna to go to one site. So it makes sense to have one MLS covering that geography. Is that going to happen overnight? No, it's not going to happen overnight. But I wish it would happen more quickly. And I wish that people would just engage in conversations to determine you know, if there are synergies that can happen and to engage in conversations that include creative thinking, recognizing that the focus has got to be on our members, on our realtor members, on our participants and subscribers and how they can better work with their consumers. So I think there should be growth. I think that there uh, will be growth, but it's gotta be driven for the right reasons. Where, where would you like to grow? You know, kind of in a, if we're gonna say wishful thinking or even a pipe dream, where would you like to see one key MLS positioned, you know, maybe three years from now, five years from now, you know, where, where would you like to see that? Well, I want to start Manhattan. I think you and I probably chatted about Manhattan when we met back in January of last year. We have had some success in Manhattan. We've had a number of middle-sized firms join One Key MLS. Compass has been a member of ours really from the very beginning. But there's also still some hesitancy and reluctance on the part of certain large brokers. Mm -hmm. And we're still trying to engage in discussions to try to break that down. At the end of the day, a lot of those firms in the city also do business in the suburbs. So it doesn't make any sense not to have a strong MLS presence in Manhattan and in the boroughs. If it works in the, if it works in the suburbs, why wouldn't it work in New York City? I mean, you know, we probably chatted about the fact that New York City is the only metropolitan area that does not have an organized MLS. And from my perspective, that just shouldn't be. It's going to benefit agents working in the city, and it's going to benefit consumers who are looking for prop properties in the city as well as in the suburbs. So that's the immediate growth I'd like to see. But you know, going back to the beginning of our conversation, anywhere where there are buses and trains that go in and out of Manhattan, I think that there should be one MLS. And I don't think that's a pipe dream. I think that that is an achievable uh, goal that will, it may take three to five years, but I think it's achievable. Well, Richard, we're, we're kind of coming up on time. I, I wanted to uh, kind of ask uh, something we ask all of our guests on the show. You know, like you said, you've 
you've been doing this for, for 35 years. I think you have seen a lot of trends come and go. You've seen a lot of buzzwords become popular and fade out. If you kind of looking back on your career, if there's one thing that you could go back and change uh, or one thing you could go back and do differently, what, what do you think that would be? I would have started the conversations earlier. And, you know, we were pretty aggressive about it. We, we merged with two other associations back in 2012. And I understand the reluctance to have those kinds of conversations because they can be tough conversations. You know, they can be perceived as we're giving up our identity. And I think what we've got to focus on is we shouldn't have anybody giving up on their identity. We've got to create a new identity that benefits everybody. So I would have speeded up that process. I'm not sure I would have been successful, but I would have probably wanted to speed it up. And I, I think what, if I could change it, and I, I don't know if we ever have the power to change the dynamics. The unique thing about our industry is our members engage in cooperation at the same time they're competing with each other. And that really is unique and that really sets our industry apart. And the MLS is what has facilitated that whole mindset. And I think right now the MLS is taking an undeserved beating in certain venues. And I, I, I think that folks are not recognizing just how important the MLS concept has been to the success of real estate professionals and to the success in the advancement of consumers having an easier transaction because they have access to wider information. And I do think that going forward, we cannot give up on that concept of cooperation that really is the underpinning of the MLS. So this is not so much what I would change. I guess this is something where I, I hope it doesn't happen, that we realize that we collectively realize that the multiple listing service philosophy of cooperation is so important to how we really work so well with consumers and we can't give up on recognizing that importance. Definitely. And what is one thing, you know, you're most excited about in, in 2021 and what's kind of, what's really kind of driving your conversations? Uh, you mentioned early, you know, before we, we started recording, you said the theme is the more things change, the more they stay the same. What, what does that kind of, what does that mean? And how are you uh, viewing, you know, this industry through that lens right now? I, one thing I'm really excited about is I really do see the demographics of our membership changing. I see changes in age demographics. I see agents getting younger. I see a change in racial demographics. I'm a, I was actually, while we went through a very difficult period last year with the tragic death of George Floyd and all of the protests that happened after that, and that I think we started to have, finally have a discussion, a meaningful discussion about race in this country that should have happened a long time ago. And one of the things our association has continued to be engaged in is making sure that discussion continues. And to make sure that we're representative of, our leadership is representative of our membership and making sure that we are engaging in individuals from diverse backgrounds, making sure that they realize that they could have a career in real estate and they could have a role in the leadership of this organization. So I'm excited about that. And I'm excited about that conversation and that movement continuing and expanding going forward. 
I agree. And I, and I think it's it's long overdue. Richard, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, this has been a, a very uh, insightful call. And, and I think our listeners are going to learn a lot and be able to, to have some good takeaways about both the market and one key MLS and, and what the Hudson Gateway Association of Realtors is doing. So thank you so much for joining me today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And thanks for listening to Brokerage Insider, the podcast where we interview the leaders in real estate and technology. I'm your host, Britt Chester, Director of Marketing Success at Travis. And today we were joined by Richard, CEO of the Hudson Gateway Association of Realtors, President and Chief Strategic Growth Officer of One Key MLS. Be sure to subscribe to Brokerage Insider wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll see you next week.